Hello, my beautiful boons, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode is all about how to have a difficult conversation. This could be how to pull up your partner for something that you're not happy about. It could be how to confront somebody about something that they've done. It could be speaking to your boss about a pay rise. It could be confronting your parents about something that you have never been okay with and finally you're going to tell them. It could be about putting someone in their place. It could be a million things. Dumping someone, if I haven't already said that. Breaking up with someone. Confessing your love to someone. Anything. A difficult conversation with somebody, you know. Uh, there's the, this could be a million categories and you can apply it to any category you want. But that is the topic of today's podcast. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you're going to feel more equipped with tools to make you feel more comfortable, more at ease with approaching someone and having a difficult conversation. You're going to be able to do it in a way where you get your point across, where you don't feel stuck or nervous or, um, or like you choke up in the moment and then you walk away, you feel like, yep, I got my point across. That's what I needed to do. Um, Yes. All right. Little life update. Not much. Not much right now. I kind of just want to get straight into the episode of today. We have a brain fact, then we'll get straight into the episode of today. And then I'm going to finish with a listener story. This listener story is so fucking interesting. It's actually about someone who's trying to decide between a career or following their partner to the other side of the country for a long distance relationship. And there's a lot to weigh up and it's a massive decision that she needs to make. So stay tuned for that very intense listener question, I should say, not story. All right, let's get into the brain fact. All right, so the brain fact of today, we're talking about monoamines and also monoamine oxidase inhibitors, um, which are a form of antidepressant. Okay, so firstly, what is a monoamine? A monoamine is a group of neurotransmitters. It's a class of neurotransmitters, as their name states, that contains one amino group. So mono, one, amine, amino group. So monoamine. And that is connected to an aromatic ring by something called a carbon-carbon chain. So you don't have to focus on that, but that's just basically why it has that name of monoamine. So these neurotransmitters, there's a few of them that fall into the category, but they include serotonin and the catecholamines, which are dopamine, adrenaline, and noradrenaline. Um, adrenaline and noradrenaline are also known as epinephrine and norepinephrine, okay? And they're involved in many, many functions in the body, motor function, gastrointestinal control, hormone secretion, um, pain and pain management, and your mechanisms behind sleep and mood, of course. And now there's something called an AADC, which is amino acid decarboxylase. And this is what helps with the synthesis of these monoamines. So it has the ability to convert something called levodopa into dopamine, 5-HTP into serotonin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they help convert these things into the neurotransmitters that we are now talking about, which are the monoamines. And if there's lower activity of this amino acid decarboxylase, this AADC, then you're going to have a lower production of the monoamines because you're not getting the synthesis and this conversion that you're supposed to be getting. And so when AADC is deficient, you're getting reduced levels of dopamine and that is strongly linked to 
motor deficits massively. There's a lot of motor deficit um, conditions and diseases that are linked to having low dopamine. And you also get reduced levels of serotonin, which is going to affect your sleep quality. And both of these things can also heavily impact your mood. So this deficiency of AADC, this amino acid decarboxylase, is one of the main reasons why you would find a way to treat this deficiency of a monoamine, okay? So it's not the only reason that monoamines might might be produced at a lower amount, but it's one of the main ones. Now let's talk about the, this class of antidepressants, okay, because there's a whole bunch of different antidepressants. I may have spoken about them in the past. For example, you've got SSRIs, which is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. You've got SNRIs, which is selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, tricyclic antidepressants. There's a whole bunch of them, but this one we're talking about here is Mayo inhibitors or monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So they're different to SSRIs and other SNRIs and other antidepressant treatments. Um, They are actually used to treat depression such as panic disorder, depression with atypical features and social phobia. So the reason for this is that they've actually been overtaken by the other antidepressants such as SSRIs for, you know, general use for, you know, the first line of action for de- to treat depression because the other options are a lot safer. So they are still an option, but normally you're not going to, or a doctor will not be prescribing a Mayo inhibitor unless they have already tried a safer option first. And that's where, <clears throat> excuse me, that's where Mayo inhibitors are quite effective at treating more specialized cases and things like, you know, panic disorder, depression with atypical features, et cetera. So it's effective, but normally if other treatments have failed prior. Now, these were the first antidepressants introduced into the market. But like I said, it's no longer the first choice. It's not the safest option. And the reason for this is because there are greater safety concerns as the other options. And there's also greater side effects as well. So the side effects or the adverse effects include nausea, insomnia, dizziness, drowsiness, constipation or diarrhea, dry mouth, etc. So there's a whole bunch. I mean, also with the other new, uh, antidepressants that I've just spoken about, there of course are side effects as well, but there are greater side effects and greater risks with this one compared to the more popular antidepressants that are used today. Now, Another thing is that it cannot under any circumstance be coupled with a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is a different kind of antidepressant and SSRI, because it can cause something called serotonin syndrome, which I will explain on a different day, but that could in some severe cases cause death. So when you get off an antidepressant, what will always happen always is, you know, what your doctor will tell you to do is that there would be something called a washout period where there is a few weeks where you're giving that antidepressant, you get off this antidepressant that wasn't working for you, you give it a few weeks. It's normally around two to three weeks. Sometimes it's four weeks just to be safe. And they call it a washout period. It gives your body time to completely eliminate that drug from the system before you then try a new treatment. You're not getting an overlap. You're not getting some sort of, you know, um, you're not getting an interaction between the two drugs. You've completely washed out that drug from the system. 
Other things that you can't take with Mayo inhibitors are methadone, tramadol. There's a whole bunch of medications that cannot be taken in conjunction with a Mayo inhibitor. You also cannot take them in conjunction with foods that contain tyramine. And obviously, if you were someone that's prescribed this drug, they would your doctors would explain to you why you can't eat these certain foods and which certain foods you should be avoiding. But basically, tyramine is an amino acid and it's in many different foods which aids in regulating blood pressure. So fermented soy, tofu, um, things like cured meats, aged cheeses, high levels of tyramine can cause high blood pressure. And when you take tyramine alongside mayo inhibitors, your blood pressure goes up even higher and this can be pretty dangerous. And tyramine, being a monoamine, also needs to be broken down by the enzyme that this medication is inhibiting. So if you are having high levels of tyramine and you're having a Mayo inhibitor, the drug that's supposed to be treating your depression is also stopping the tyramine from being broken down and that is why it's affecting your body because it's not getting broken down at the rate or at the amount that it should be, okay? So then your body can't eliminate or process it properly. Now, the mechanism behind the drug, the mechanism behind a monoamine oxidase inhibitor is that it blocks the function of something called a monoamine oxidase enzyme, okay? This enzyme, like a lot of enzymes, is responsible for breaking down things. Enzymes break things down normally. Um, And this enzyme is responsible for the breakdown of neurotransmitters, which are serotonin, tyramine, dopamine, and norepinephrine. And if you block this enzyme that is responsible for breaking these things down, then the level of these neurotransmitters are going to increase by default because they're not being eliminated. And then high levels of these neurotransmitters can have an effect on the cells within the brain that are linked to or affected by depression. And therefore, because those monoamines are higher, you're then likely to, or hopefully the aim is that you alleviate these depressive symptoms. Because if you think about when cells communicate, you've got something called a synaptic cleft, okay? So you've got the the sending cell, the neuron that is sending the information, and you've got the receiving cell. And the gap between those two neurons is called the synaptic cleft, okay? So once dopamine is released from the, 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 sending, the neuron that's sending the information, once it's released into the synaptic cleft, it doesn't stay in that synaptic cleft for too long at all, okay? There's a lot going on. Now, there's two options. Number one, to land on the receiving cell and activate it, or number two, to be reabsorbed through the reuptake system. It's not just going to chill there. It's going to be eaten up by this reuptake system where it's going to be pumped back into the cell that they came from. And once it gets pumped back into the cell where it came from, it gets converted into a different compound. It gets metabolized. Um, And this conversion, this metabolism is due to the interaction with monoamine oxidase alongside other processes as well. That's not the only thing that's going on, but to simplify it, monoamine oxidase is metabolizing and converting this compound, okay? And the reason it does that, it it needs to kind of repackage it so it can then, you know, sit there in a, you know, in a vesicle to be ready to pump out at a later stage, okay? If you are inhibiting the monoamine oxidase, then the conversion, the metabolism does not occur. Therefore, you're keeping the levels of dopamine high 
from like within that reuptake system, but also around that synaptic cleft. Okay, so the levels of dopamine are higher. That way, you've got more chances of that neurotransmitter activating the receiving cell and having some sort of an action potential occur. And then you're getting more activity through the dopamine system in those cells. If you were dopamine deficient or if you had lower levels of dopamine, you're getting very small activity. And what what this is aiming to do is just raise that activity at least to the level of, you know, the what the normal population would have. Okay. That's kind of the aim behind these drugs. So that's kind of an explanation around Mayo inhibitors, how they work, why they are risky. The, the reason why they're risky is because how they interact with other drugs and how they interact with um, certain foods, okay? Because when you inhibit, like most things in the brain, they call it a promiscuous in the sense that they do multiple things. Um, so when you look at drug interaction within the body, you always have to look at, okay, yeah, this thing might be really great for this one thing, but now we've got to look at how is it interacting with all the other things within the brain because you can't, it's impossible to just target one thing and not target other things if that molecule or that enzyme is going to bind to something or break something down, et cetera, et cetera. So as far as antidepressants go and side effects, this one is not the preferred option anymore. It's mainly going to be used if other treatments have failed and they're trying another treatment and they're trying something more specific, more specialized, then they're going to go down the Mayo inhibitor route. Um, that is the brain fact for today. Yeah, hope you enjoyed that. And I will do a brain fact in the coming episodes on serotonin syndrome because I mentioned that. All right, let's talk about how to have a difficult conversation. I've got a whole bunch of points and I'm just going to start by breaking them down and going into it a little bit further. You can take all the points, you can take some of the points, you can apply as many or as little of these as you want, whatever feels best for you. Okay. When you're having a difficult conversation, it's normally because you feel that they're going to react in a certain way that's not pleasant. Otherwise, the conversation wouldn't be fucking difficult. If you thought that their reaction is going to be rainbows and sunshine, peaches and cream, then this wouldn't be difficult because you are trying when you think, oh, how am I going to say that? It's because you're trying to avoid some sort of emotional outcome or you're trying to, you know, put off experiencing you know, the being on the receiving end of someone's emotional response or reaction to something you have said. In other words, if you're asking for a pay rise, you're putting it off because you don't want someone to say, absolutely not. And this is why I'm not giving you a pay rise. You don't want to, you don't want to put yourself in that position. It's scary. You don't want to break up with someone because you don't want to break their heart and you don't want to feel responsible for causing this pain in somebody, okay? You don't want to pull your parents up for something that you thought was wrong about their parenting because that could cause a big fight and for you guys to not talk for a while, etc., etc., etc. So because of that, a lot of us are extremely aversive to have these conversations. We don't want to experience this pain and discomfort. We don't want to be the cause of conflict and we don't want someone to not like us, okay? That is the main reason why we avoid these conversations because we think us, myself, causing pain, causing discomfort, causing offense will equal you not liking me you thinking something bad of me or you turning around and then attacking me and then me feeling in pain or feeling uncomfortable or feeling scared or feeling abandoned, etc. Okay, so there's 
There's many reasons behind why it is that we're going to avoid a difficult conversation. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be speaking about, I'm going to be breaking it down into points and then elaborating on the points. The first thing you're going to do is prep someone with a message or, or a statement. In other words, let them know that you're about to have a talk. In some scenarios that doesn't happen like in fucking interventions, but in general it's good to say to your partner or to, you know, whoever, just say, hey, do you mind if after dinner we sit down and just have a talk instead of what we normally do, watching TV or whatever. I just really would like to cover a few things with you. Uh, it could be, and who cares if they respond saying, oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Just say, look, I'm just asking to block some time aside just for a chat. You know, if it's with your parents and you don't know how to approach a situation and you're already like, oh, at what point do I bring it up? Make it a point to go over for a conversation. So message them and say, hey, is it possible for me to come around? You name a time sometime this weekend so I can have a conversation with you guys. There's a couple of things I want to discuss. Okay, so that way you go there and they're like, what did you want to discuss? So that way it's not like, oh, we're having a lot of fun watching a movie and you turn around and say, hey, I hate how you parented me as a child in the middle of a film. No, you're talking, you're you're actually sitting down to discuss something that's important. The same as with your boss. You don't go and ambush them halfway through when when you don't know if they're stressed or distracted or whatever and you're like, oh, I kind of want to pay rise. No, you say, can we block out a time for us to meet? There's things I need to discuss with you. Easy. That is the first one. Prep them. It gives them the opportunity to prepare or to at least mentally be like, all right, this person's going to say something serious to me. I'm not fucking around here. I'm listening to what they have to say. The next thing is don't try and give them all the compliments in the world before going in with the hard stuff. If you're going in to say something difficult that you know that they're not going to want to hear, like being dumped or like whatever, Just stick to what you are talking about. Treat them like an adult. Don't treat them like a child who cannot handle the truth, okay? People can handle the truth. They might not be able to handle it in the moment and they might react in a way that they themselves aren't very proud of. But ultimately, we can handle the truth. We're not going to die. We can handle the truth. So treat people with the respect that they deserve and tell them just the truth. And also, whether people say it or not, and whether you say it or not, we all appreciate just straight up honesty over being like over being patronized. Don't patronize them by acting like they can't handle it. Like to me, when someone's being dumped, don't come at me with all the things you like about me. Like when I was in my 20s and I was being dumped, and this happened like twice. Well, not being dumped. I've been dumped a few times, but specifically on two occasions in my 20s when I was being broken up with, where the guy was like rattling off everything they thought was great about me, compliment after compliment, the next guy that gets to be with you is the luckiest man in the world. I'm like, yeah, but cunt, why the fuck are you dumping me if you actually feel this way? It's patronizing. It's offensive. This isn't fucking play school, motherfucker. Just tell me what I need to hear and rip the bandaid off. Don't come at me with all these compliments and then be like, oh, you're fucking amazing, but I'm dumping your ass. It's so offensive. It's a joke. So don't do that to someone else. Just hit them with the straight facts, be respectful and don't patronize them. The next thing is if you're nervous about what you're going to say, write down what you want to say first, then look at what you've written down 
and simplify, simplify, simplify. We make it difficult for ourselves because we choke up. When you get nervous, it's difficult to reason. When you get scared, when you get defensive, when you get protective, it's harder and harder to reason. That is why when you have a cool, calm, collected head, you write it down first. Unless you're a gun at having difficult conversations, in which case, why are you listening to this episode? So you write it down. And then you look at that and you think, what does it need to be here? What can I strip from this? So I'm getting to the point in the most respectful and concise way. How clear is what I'm saying? Or is it all mumbled up because there's way too much emotion and and panic weaved into this fucking speech that I've created, okay? Say it out loud. Read the things out loud. The clearer you are, the easier it's going to be for you to get your point across and the more confident you're going to feel in what you're saying. So get clear. The next thing is if you're trying to have a difficult conversation, avoid whenever possible character assassination. If you're trying to tell someone something, you want to stick to the facts. If you start saying you're a fucking this and you fucking and you start calling them names about their character – and saying instead of talking about their specific actions and sticking to what has been done or what needs to be done or what kind of outcome you would like and that's why you're having the conversation, then it's it's going to get a lot more emotional and you're going to be attacking someone a lot more than is necessary. Ideally, this isn't an attack at all. But if you start name calling and character assassinating, you're going to make it a lot harder for yourself and you're going to make it a lot more painful for the person on the receiving end of this difficult conversation. Another thing, if you want the conversation to go well, don't go into talking about how upset and hurt you are and just focus on that. It's okay to talk about how something affected you. Of course it is. But try your best to stick to this has happened and this is what it caused. And then when you did this, this is what the result was, okay? If you go on and on and saying like, I just can't look at you the same again and, you know, uh, it's unforgivable and this and that, it's fine to say that but back it with facts because if you only speak about, unfortunately, if you only speak about feelings and emotions and and how upset you are and how hurt you are and how you can never forgive and you can never, then this person is only going to, they're, they're looking at it from a biased lens because people don't experience things the way you experience things. People don't experience emotions the way you do and someone might receive something very different to you. So if you go on and on about how much it's hurt you, that's fine because it's your truth. But when you're trying to get a point across, you want to speak more about this caused this and this caused this and this is the situation and now with this, I'm going to do X, okay? Or I'm going to ask for X or I'm going to tell you, I don't want to see you anymore. Okay. So whenever possible, speak about the actions that were done, speak about the specific scenarios, because like I said, what is painful to you may not be painful to that other person. And they might look at you and you say, and it was painful because of blah, 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 blah. And I'm so hurt because of X, Y, Z. And they're like, that wouldn't hurt me. That wouldn't really affect me. So you just have to be cool, calm and collected and stick to the facts. The next thing, Think about what could make someone be defensive. Why do people become defensive? If you want this conversation to go smoothly, you want to cover some of your bases, not all of your bases because you cannot predict, and I'm going to go into this in a second, you can't predict the outcome and your aim shouldn't be to be predicting the outcome. But 
think about what would make someone be defensive to put their walls up to make this conversation harder. And the number one thing is when someone feels attacked, okay? If you go in with an attack, walls are going to come up, defensiveness is going to come up, denial and accusations and counterattacks will be thrown at you. And then you're going to have to be on the defensive. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to get a point across, whatever that point is. You're here to get something that you need to say across to the other party. So whenever possible, think, is this attack necessary? And a great example of this is say you're trying to approach your partner about something that you really don't want them doing again or something that's really driving you absolutely insane. If you then say, look, this is the situation when you do this, it affects my life in this way. And if you continue to do this, I'm going to have to start doing this. And this is just like a warning sign. And this is what I'm saying versus you're always doing this. You've never been able to do this. You're always, you know, and you get on the attack, you make massive generalizations. You say things about them that might not be accurate or might not be completely true just because they've hurt you in one thing then you act like they don't give a fuck about you at all and they don't care and they're always hurting you and they're always 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 that person is going to be like I don't fucking stand a chance now you've just painted me in the worst light possible and then you expect me to take this information you know in a mature way it's not going to happen so you've got to think how can I approach this in a way where I'm still getting my point across but being as being like, but minimizing the attack and just talking about it. Okay. So you've got to think about it. Does this come across as an attack? And some things are just going to be perceived as an attack and you can't avoid that. But there are certain things like making generalized statements, like um, bringing in unnecessary details from the past into this to strengthen your argument when in reality, it's not relevant to the argument just to make you seem like you've been hard done by or you're the bigger victim. You might want to do that, but it's not going to help your case because it's going to get that person to be defensive, feel attacked and then counterattack to you. Okay. It's not helpful. Don't do it if you can avoid it. Another thing is understand that you are completely in your right to bring up a conversation. Don't ever feel like someone is above you and you are below them. And in order for you to talk to them, it's a burden and you are a burden to talk to. If you are in each other's life, no matter what the relationship, if they are your partner, your parent, your sibling, your friend, your boss, then you are more than within your right to speak about something that you need to speak about, okay? Of course, with respect, you're speaking with respect to this person. The moment you disrespect, then that right could potentially be taken away because if you disrespect someone to a point where they just don't want you in their lives anymore, then that, that right gets taken away from you. But if you have a relationship with this person, you are completely in your right to raise something that is affecting you. Don't think, oh, you know, I might lose them. They're too good for me. They're this, they're that. If you raising someone something that's important to you makes someone walk away from your life permanently, then that may be what is necessary, okay? That just so be it, you know, because you can't just sit there and shut your mouth and not say a word because you don't think you're worthy of voicing how you feel. If you feel that way, that is a one-way street that you're on and you got to get off that fucking street. You are on, in a one-sided relationship. You should always feel, if you're being respectful, you should always feel that you are in your right 
and feel comfortable bringing something up and not intimidated by the other party, okay? I don't care if they're your boss. I don't care if they're the CEO of the company. You are a human too, okay? The next point, know what you want to get across. Be clear and then don't fixate on the outcome. You can't control the outcome. You've just got to know what you want to say. Like I said, write it down, get clear, simplify, simplify. But that is it. Your aim when you enter it is I want to get this across. Your aim isn't I want to get this across and for them to love me still and have a really good opinion of it. No, you can't control that. You've got to give people time to process. You've got to understand that, like I said before, people aren't going to experience the things the way you experience things, just like you don't experience things the way someone else will. So the way you speak to someone and how you and what you say to them might generate a response that you didn't predict or that you're not happy with. And that is life. You can't get in this, inside their head and control the outcome. When you try to control the outcome of how they respond, it might cause you to veer off from what you need to say. If you, you might be trying to cheer them up. You might be trying to not offend them or hide some of the truth so it doesn't hurt them as much. You might be trying to protect them from being hurt or from you know, knowing the full extent of the truth or from being humiliated. You have to get your point across regardless of the outcome. You have to also question your intentions of why you're saying what you're saying. Like this whole give 50,000 compliments before you dump someone, that's a selfish reason. When this person gives me all these compliments before he dumps me, it's selfish because he's thinking, I want to make you hate me as, as little as possible. I want you to like me. It's all about me and I want you to like me. So I'm going to shower you with compliments before I fucking dump you because that's going to raise the chances of you still thinking I'm a good person. Selfish, 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 okay? You have to go in and say, this is what I need to say. I'm not going to control the outcome. By giving someone all these compliments before you hit them with, with some hard truths, you're basically saying, I'm trying to control the outcome. I'm trying to make you like me more. I'm trying to make you not experience this how I think you're going to experience this. Okay? It's not possible. Another thing that's kind of tied to this is try your best not to manipulate the outcome of the situation. For example, you can't say, I want to break up with this person and have them still like me. What do you want? You don't want to be in a relationship, okay? You want to be out of the relationship. That's the aim. You get out of the relationship. If you think, I want to be out of this relationship, but I only want to be out of this relationship if, if I can do it in a way that they still like me, then you might be stuck in this relationship that you don't want to be in forever because the only outcome is to be broken up and them never wanting to talk to you again. You've still got to be okay with that outcome. You've got to think, what is the one thing that I want? I can't be manipulating or attempting to manipulate the outcome. You can't control someone else. So don't try to. The aim is to quit the job. The aim is to ask for a pay rise. The aim is to break up. Other than that, not, you can't control anything else and you have to take it on the fly and deal with what, how their reaction is as it comes. And that way, if you're not so tied to an outcome of how they're going to react, you're not going to be so shocked if it's not an outcome that you want. If you walk into this, this interview with your boss saying, I really want a pay rise and I'm going to go in here and ask for the pay rise. If you think I will die if they say no, and you think, oh, I'll be relieved if they say yes. If you're only happy with one of the outcomes, 
then you're setting yourself up for a really hard time. You've got to go in there saying, regardless of the outcome, I know I have to say this because I have to get it off my chest. And now at the very least, even if I don't get this pay rise, now at least my boss knows what it is that I want. They're aware that I know my worth, that I want more, and that if they don't give it to me, I may stay or I may not stay, but at least I'm honest and I've, I've put it across what it is that I'm looking for and what I think I'm worth. They could turn around and say, yep, you've got the pay raise. No, fuck off. You're never going to get it. Or listen, you may be worthy, but maybe in six months you've got a bit more training to do and this is how to get there. Okay. So it should be every outcome should teach you something. Just don't go in there thinking I'm only going to be okay with one outcome because if that's your approach, then you're way less likely to ask for help, to ask for a pay rise, to ask for what you want or to cut someone out of your life. Okay. We've got a couple more. Ask to be heard, to say what you need to say, and then you wait to hear their response. So an important thing, especially if you're in a situation with someone where you always talk over each other, you say, look, I don't want I don't want to, I'm not angry here. I literally, I'm just trying to talk to you as honestly and openly as possible. So what I ask for you is for you to hear me out. And then I promise you, I will give you all the time and all the attention to hear what you have to say, but please just hear what I have to say. Okay. And then you speak. I think it's really important to approach that if you are in a situation where it normally is just throwing daggers at each other all the time. In addition to that, Give them space to respond. Don't drop a bomb and then shut them off. If you expect someone to listen to you, you have to grant that person the courtesy of listening to them. Not just standing there and being there while they talk at you, but truly, truly listen to what they have to say. Take it in. Consider it. You don't have to agree. You don't ever have to agree. But listen to them. If they've just listened to you, Give them the respect of listening to what they have to say in response, okay? And lastly, if they say something hurtful and attack you and counterattack, that is not your cue to fold and take back what you said. You don't have to respond then and there to their response. They might have come at you with something really like sharp or painful or your boss might have turned around and said, well, actually, this is why we're not giving you the pay rise and shocks you with this reason as to why. You don't have to respond then and there. You can take that information and say, okay, well, you've given me something new to think about. Let me get back to you on this. Or I need some time to process this and I'd love to – you know, speak about it maybe tomorrow or maybe next week. Don't think that you have to give a response, especially if you say, I'm going to think about it, then that person can't expect a response then and there. The same goes for if you drop a bomb and they turn around and say, I can't give you a reason or an answer right now. Please give me time to think about it. Give them the time. Okay. When you do that, you allow space for someone to just exist. You're giving them patience. You're giving them a level of understanding and they're more likely to give that to you. It's not for sure. Like I said, you can't control the outcome, but you're definitely raising the likelihood of it going both ways. Okay. So hopefully that has helped you with how to approach a difficult conversation. Hopefully it's helped you um, feel more comfortable about having that difficult conversation. But definitely, yeah, prep them, write things down, do all the above. And I just, yeah, the main reason for me doing this episode is I don't want you to be living your life going through the motions, feeling like something is left unsaid that you know will benefit your life if you were to say it 
even if you can't control the outcome because you've gotten it off your chest at the very least. I don't want you sitting there thinking that you can't do it because you don't know how to approach the topic or you don't know how to approach the person. And I hope that this has equipped you and made you feel a bit more comfortable about doing so. Guys, it is now time for that very intense and interesting and what I found great listener question. Okay, the listener question of today. Dear Alexis, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've been listening since the very beginning and I'm so happy that you're back, Sam says. Here's my dilemma. I've been dating this guy for two years and ever since the very beginning of us dating, he's told me he wants to move across the country back to his home state on the East Coast. My family, friends and job are all concentrated on the West Coast and we currently live in the West Coast together. We both agree that we want to get married someday, but neither of us are in a rush. I'm really in love with him and don't want to lose him. He recently compromised by taking a one-year job contract where we are now to give me more time here. After this year, he said he's 100% moving as he does not like living here. The only problem with moving, other than I know no one there, is I work in an industry that is concentrated in two major cities, both of which are about three hours away from where he wants to go. He could technically work anywhere, but he's already lived in those two cities and does not want to go back. My career has finally taken off and I went back to grad school and got my foot in the door at a large company I've been dreaming of. There's opportunity for me to move up within the company, but zero opportunity to work fully remote. I've done my research and no jobs exist for me in this new city in my industry. I would have to completely reinvent myself. Lastly, he said once he moves back to the East Coast, he is never moving back to the West Coast again. So it's not like a two-year tested out and move back type of deal. We both agree that we don't want to do long distance either. I know I shouldn't care what people think, but I'm nervous if I make the move, they'll think I'm giving up my career and taking a completely different path in life just for a guy. Especially my parents who helped pay for my grad school, which is the career I'm working in now. What would you choose, career or love? I don't want to look back in five years' time and either resent him because I put my career on hold or resent my career because I lost an absolute gem of a man. Thank you for any advice, Anonymous. Okay, this is a great fucking question because it is you're in a fucking pickle and there's a lot to kind of break apart here. Okay, let's start with the fact that... Number one, he's saying he will never, never, never move to the West Coast again, which is where you live. First of all, you got to ask yourself, am I okay with that? Because you can only take what someone says for face value. It's like this idea when someone says, um, when someone says to you, oh, I never want kids. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, you'll change your mind. No, I can't. No, you always have to think, okay, what they're telling me, I'm just going to take it for face value. Because what if I'm thinking, oh, eventually we'll be able to move here. If someone's saying absolutely never, then you can't get annoyed at them if three years down the track you say, yeah, well, I thought that X, Y, Z. Okay. So number one, are you genuinely okay with the fact that you will, if you choose to be with him, you will never, ever Live on the West Coast again. Is that okay? Does that sit well with you? That's the first question. If that sits well with you, the next question you got to ask is, why do you so badly want to live to your partner on the East Coast? Is it because you hate the West Coast or because you want to be in that specific town or city on the East Coast? Because he's saying East Coast or you're, you're referring East Coast, but is it the exact town with the people that he knows 
Or I know you said that he doesn't like the two cities that are three hours away. So, you know, he's obviously not flexible to those two cities. But is it that he wants to be around his people and his family and the people that he wants to be with, you know? So is there any flexibility within that East Coast even if you didn't move to those cities? And also... If you're moving to the other side of the country to be with someone and they say, no, nah, I've already lived in these two cities, like this person, and fair enough, good on him. He's living his best life. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But this person is, he is very, very set on what seems to be one location and you have to be okay with that one location because he doesn't want to be on the West Coast. Fair, fine, that's his call. And he doesn't want to be on the two major cities that, you know, where there's possibility for your career to take off won't be there. So it seems like he's only wanting to be in one location. And like I said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it, to me, it comes across as that is very clear. So are you okay with you potentially forever living in that location? Okay. If the answer is yes to everything I've said so far, yep, I'm okay with that. Yep, I'm okay with that. Yep, I've come to terms with that. Then you've got to look at what will my life look like Knowing the information that I know and knowing that I don't want to lose him, what is my life going to look like there in that location? Because from the information you've given me, that's the only option. It's be with him in that town or city, nowhere else, or be anywhere in the world that you want but not with him. Those are your two options, okay? Now, to layer it even further, be with him in a job that's not my dream job, even though I already have my dream job, so it's not like a pipe dream. You have it. You're living your dream. But be with him in that location without my dream job and find something new with no one that I know. But that's, 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 to me, that doesn't matter too much because you, you make friends, you'll be dynamic, you'll make friends. So that's fine. But without your family or have my dream job, live where I want, live, you know, and move whenever I want and have all the opportunities as, as far as that career goes. Okay. Cause you'll have a million opportunities in other careers. Opportunities are everywhere. But it's like, what is it that you want to do? So that's the other thing you've got to ask yourself. Now, another thing that I was interested in how you worded this is you said, I know I shouldn't care about what, I, what other people think, but I'm nervous if I make the move, they'll think I'm giving up my career and taking a completely different path in life just for this guy. What do you think? Because you shouldn't care what other people think. If that's what you really want to do, because the, in the Paragraph before that, it sounds like you love the job you're in. It's a dream company. It's an opportunity. How much do you love what you do? Because fuck what people think. It's true. It's your life at the end of the day. Yes, people have supported you along the way, but you're not throwing it away with like, I don't give a fuck. You're putting consideration into it. You care, but at the end of the day, this is your life. So you shouldn't be factoring in, oh, I'm not going to do it because of what people think. Okay. It's about what you think. And Maybe you're saying this because you also think the same thing. You think, I don't, I don't want to throw my career away. I don't want to throw my dream job away. I don't want to start from scratch, especially when it's something that I don't want to be doing when right now I'm doing what I do want to be doing, okay? There's a lot, you know, riding on this thing for you, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't have written this email. And yes, I think it's great that he's given you that one year. He said he recently compromised by taking a one-year job contract. But a compromise is kind of meeting in the middle. So to even it out, you could turn around, and I'm not saying you do this because this is not tit for tat in a relationship, but you can't look at that as a compromise because then the ver your version of a compromise would be like, well, I'll move to where you are for one year and then we have to reassess again. You know, like it's never going to end this thing. Basically what he's saying is it's an ultimatum. And 
not in the mean way, in the way I've got a whole episode on Ultimatums, go check it out, but in the way of saying, look, I am not happy here. I don't want to live here. I'm done. And I think that's absolutely okay for someone to do that. I don't think that's unhealthy at all. This person, your partner, is not happy living there, doesn't like it, doesn't make him happy, doesn't want it. Good on him for making that call. But it's an ultimatum. It's saying, come with me or don't, but I'm going. So you choose what you want to do, but I am going, right? So you literally are now, you have all the information you need to make a decision. You asked me what I would choose personally. I would weigh it up by thinking, what am I willing to lose? Okay. You have to be willing to lose something and you're going to have to be willing to lose things in your life all the time. If you moved across the country to be with him, you would have to do it partially for yourself as well. You would have to see opportunity for yourself as well. You don't want to move there and be all about him. And then when you're upset in your mind, you're like, fuck you, cunt. I moved here for you and now this. Or I moved here for you and I don't have friends and now you're hanging out with your friends and now I'm sitting here alone. Or I'm blah, 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 you know, because then don't bother. Don't bother because that's going to make the relationship extremely toxic. You've got to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start my life from, I'm going to start my career. Like I'm going to start fresh. This one, it's done. I can't do it anymore. I'm sealing the coffin on that one. But I'm really excited because I'm going to move to this city and I'm going to do this X, Y, Z. I'm going to try this career. I'm going to try that. I'm going to live for me and I'm going to be with you because I don't want to lose you. Okay. But to move to another city just for the partner and feel like, your family is not there, your friends are not there, the career that you wanted isn't there. Personally, I wouldn't take that trade, okay? I would only move if I also saw potential for me to love my life in that city. That is the only way personally I would move, no matter how much I loved a man, no matter how much I loved a man, because love isn't enough. You have to love yourself first. You have to live for yourself first because if you don't, resentment will guaranteed creep in. You can't go there and sit and just live for him in the sense of like, I've done all of this for you. Because then there's this expectation, even subconsciously, there is an expectation. And then if things don't work out, there's this resentment, not just to him, but to yourself. You will resent yourself. You kick yourself. If you go there, no matter how much you love yourself, you, know, you can't predict the future. If you go there and then things don't work out and you guys break up, you'll be like, oh, after everything I did, after everything I did. No, it was your choice. It wasn't his choice. He said, I'm moving. I'd love for you to come, but I'm fucking out. I'm tapping the fuck out of this city or this, the West Coast. So you have to look at this and think, am I willing to look at this as a fresh start and live for me? And do I see possibility and opportunity and things I can get passionate about here? If the answer is yes, give it a red hot crack. If you're like, no, I'm so fucking annoyed. I love my career. This is me. This is my trajectory. This is the opportunity. The world is endless. I could live in another country if I want. I could do all these things. Then the answer is no, I'm not going to go. I don't think there's anything wrong with following your partner to around the world to different cities. I don't think there's anything wrong with one partner putting a pause on their career to support the other partner, but it has to even out at some point in your life. It has to, there has to be legitimate compromise, not one year and then a lifetime somewhere else. That's not compromise. I'm sorry. I'm sure he's lovely. I'm not, I'm not slinging shit on him, but him being somewhere for one year 
or one year longer where you met, where he moved to and was choosing to live versus you now moving across the country and living there for life isn't a compromise as such, okay? So in relationships, yes, sacrifices needs to be, need to be made, compromises need to be made, I understand all of that. However, not at the expense of you living a life where you feel like you're growing, you feel like you're connected, you feel like you're on purpose and you feel like you're happy, okay? Because nothing's going to give you true happiness than doing things for yourself and making yourself happy. If you can do that while living there, go for it. Go for it. But if you genuinely deep down instinctively are like, I know I'm going to go there and I'm going to feel like a fucking just homebody and, you know, I, it's just not going to be my thing. I'm not going to be happy there. I don't like that town. I don't like that city. I don't want to be there. Then you might find that it's going to be very fucking difficult for you to flourish when you know for a fact you don't want to be there. I have a friend, she's dating uh, or she's actually married to an NRL player and she has travelled and moved to cities with him a lot, okay, and she has at times put her job on hold or gotten a completely different job because of the city they were living in and then two years later they move and then they move and then they move. But the difference here is A, several times she's been able to take her job with her because it can be remote and B, more importantly, they both know that this is a temporary thing for this stage in their lives, for this kind of decade of their lives. So they're kind of looking at it as like, fuck, let's do this adventure. Let's do it together. And she's so fucking supportive of him. There's been times where he's gone and they've done long distance and it's worked brilliantly. Um, and there's a lot of times where she's gone with him to different cities and they've moved many times, but they look at it as we're in this for the long haul. We're ultimately going to, you know, live in a place where we're both going to be happy, where it's not all about, you know, one person's job or the other. So let's just go on this adventure together. So like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, not doing your career for somebody, but you have to be able to see this as an opportunity for you. You cannot make this decision purely for the relationship because you'll resent him, you'll get over it, you fucking hate it, and then you're not going to feel happy within yourself and it's all going to blow up in your face. I hope that gave you some insight because obviously I couldn't give you the answer. Um, but yes, thank you for sending in your listener question. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Love you so much. Keep sharing, keep reposting, keep doing all the things that you guys do. Uh, and as always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.